Well, why don't you take us back about 30 years and tell us how uh, how Spirit activated How did you figure it out? Well, actually, I'll take you back even farther. Um, my sure. first medicine dream started when I was six years old. So he was talking about dreams. So my first dreams of visitations with the ancestors started when I was six and uh, showed that the, the dream time was the real time. And... Uh, after that, when I was seven, I had a near-death experience and, um, and it involved a sledding accident. And uh, I was jettisoned into the other world and then uh, uh, was pulled, literally yanked back into my body. Uh, and um, as a consequence of that, um, I was able to see the ancestor spirits in ordinary time and space, not just in my dreams. And uh, so after that, I began being taught in my dreams from them. And then when I was 17, I made a formal commitment to walk the, this road of life, this native way. And, uh, yeah, dreams have always been a very important part of this medicine uh, in this way. And, um, and some other uh, accurate points uh, that you brought up uh, is that I've been struck three times by lightning. So I have a relationship with the Thunder God. Wow. And, um, yeah, so I have an intimate relationship with them. And then uh, he talked about the late 90s. And so uh, in uh, 1999, February, my beloved wife made her journey home while visiting some relations on the Red. And um, that kind of jettisoned me on an odyssey to uh, the... Uh, explore the medicine of grief in, in great intimacy and detail. And so I sought out a lot of medicine people to help me uh, with my own journey of bereavement. And uh, it's been very powerful you know, that way. And obviously, uh, I've been sun dancing since 92 consecutively. And I've been a member of the Native American church for the past two decades as well. So, you know, his, uh, his reading was quite, quite compelling, quite accurate. Uh, I obviously sought out medicine people, and I apprenticed with them, you know, minimum 10 years before I was granted the blessing and the permission and the sanction to be able to conduct these ceremonies, which are, is part of the bridge, you know, that he's talking about. You know, I really believe that in this world, the uh, that the antidote to a lot of human suffering is is through indigenous medicine ways ceremonial practices, you know, legitimate practices that are um, being conducted in the proper way. And, you know, I've seen uh, tremendous healing take place uh, through people's participation, you know, in this way of life. And um, that the, um, the uh, I think it's vital for our survival as a species, you know, to be able to remember uh, these old ways. And, and you know, part of my medicine, I feel, is also to preserve and protect these ancient ways and practices so that future generations can benefit as well. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the dog. And, uh, you know, the dog is part of the Hayoka medicine, you know, uh, the contrary medicine that connects with thunder beings. So, you know, the reading... 
uh, is quite accurate. I, I had a reading before from a traditional Mayan elder about the time of my wife's passing. And again, uh, you know, he read me like a book as well. Which, uh, I had prognosticated certain things that later came true. So you know, it's, um, it's a really powerful way of, of communion with the Creator and the Earth and the ancestors. And being of mixed ancestry, I think I already serve as a bridge. And Yeah, sometimes the little grain of sand that can be an irritant that allows that pearl to grow and to shine. So, yeah, that's kind of a Reader's Digest synopsis of, of my, my journey thus far. Um, so thank you for that reading. Well, we're hoping to hear the National Geographic version now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to oblige, yeah. So, uh, uh, what else would you like to... No, you have any specific questions? Yeah, you got any questions, Mark? Well, it's just, uh, you know, with his mixing and his thing, kind of, you know, how's it going for him? And, you know, since probably, like he said, his wife passed over, and and that kind of probably redirected him a little bit. So kind of what happened, and, you know, where are you going, and, with what you're doing, tell people, you know, what you're trying to accomplish and how things are going for you and, you know, anything else that you think that they might be interested in. All right. Yeah, so um, if anything, the, you know, obviously I've been <clears throat> already on the path and dancing and doing service to people and building community. And obviously I've been uh, endeavoring to build community for the past 20-plus years and uh, in fact, uh, my institute celebrated its 20th anniversary in the Bay Area uh, back in 2014. And, um, you know, so Creator just put me on this road, you know. And when I first started dancing, uh, you know, they came to me uh, during the Sundance in the vision and <clears throat> told me I needed to create a center that was involved in the preservation and protection and the respectful dissemination of indigenous practices. And uh, first I, I said, you know, I think you've got the wrong guy, you know, but uh, they said, no, you, know, you are the one. And uh, you know, my my wife, you know, had uh, just met her not too long before that. And uh, you know, she was also instrumental in helping to dream the, at that point, was the center. The institute came a little bit later. but um, So I began traveling the world and uh, Bringing, bringing this medicine to the people, which I believe is, is vital you know, for our survival as a species to help us reconnect with the earth. You know, I think we have forgotten our intimate relationship to our mother and we've forgotten our relationship to the ancestors that always walk with us. And so part of the you know, purpose and mission that I believe that I have is to shepherd people back toward the sacred and toward an intimate communion with the earth and the ancestors and the creator. And so, you know, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I think it's challenging in this world nowadays. I mean, things have you know, radically changed. And uh, you know, I think it's uh, very challenging. I think I regard, in, in the colonial world, I regard community as an experiment. And people have forgotten how to be tribal and uh, and how to how to get along. And so, you know, with the technologies that we have, um, sometimes they can be very effective tools for 
communication, but they can also serve to divide people are separated. So it's really using the best of the technology to help unify. And he talked about unification there. And yeah, so for me, a, a big piece of that is, is uh, endeavoring to be an instrument in the relief of suffering in this world, you know, because all of us carry wounds, all of us uh, experience suffering and pain as a result of this human journey. You know, impermanence is the truth of this world. I think if anything, the unexpected passing of my wife uh, through a vehicular accident on the res really underscored the truth of, of, of death, and it's nothing to be afraid of. You know, it's just a part of the balance of, of this journey that we're on. And so, uh, you know, to help people make peace with, with that inevitable demise and really to therefore live and love passionately with great purpose you know, to help people remember their original instructions. You know, I think we all come here with a gift that is not just for us to serve ourselves, but to serve all of our relations. And oftentimes, I think in this world, there's a fundamental forgetting of what our mission and purpose is. And so these, you know, the vehicle of ceremony can help people remember, help them to remember what they're here to do for the benefit of all of us, but also help to remember to put ourselves back together again, not only individually, but collectively, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And so um, that has been certainly my purpose and mission, which is to travel the world and help people remember who they are and what they're here to do. Uh, because when, when we don't fulfill our original instructions and we're not doing what the Creator now, the dreamer has dreamed for us, um, then all of us suffer. And I think the, the suffering that we're seeing on such a massive global scale is a reflection of that internalized suffering, you know, and as well as the, the forgetting that I spoke of. And uh, all the violence in the world, for me, is just a result of the violence that we wage internally upon ourselves, you know, the insidious judgments and criticisms that we have about ourselves because we're not coming from a place of of love and respect for who we are and who the Creator and the Earth has fashioned us to be. And, uh, you know, I see this, this uh, disconnection in our use. You know, a lot of the work that I do is also rites of passage. So, you know, besides, you know, uh, uh, with the spirits that I work with, you know, because they do the work, I don't. You know, I just want to be a humble, empty instrument. You know, um, in the beginning of the uh, of your program, you know, uh, I remember John Trudell was was sharing. Want to kind of give an acknowledgement of him. He made his journey not long ago. And, you know, in that that excerpt from Thunderheart, he talked about power. You know, and I think that uh, individuals, you know, uh, human beings don't have power. We have responsibility. We have responsibility to become instruments through which the powers of the universe and the Creator and the Earth can can act for the benefit of the whole. Hope. So you know, the work that I do, you know, is really to be a humble instrument, and uh, because the spirits do the doctoring, you know, and uh, my elders and my teachers, mentors, you know. They provided me with the framework through ceremonial protocol, uh, you know, because I don't believe 
in, in my world, the, the kind of vernacular that I use is that uh, also individuals, ceremonial leaders, uh, we don't hold space. You know, counselors don't hold space. We occupy space. But we witness the journey of that individual through their healing process. But it's the ancestors and the creator that cre- are, the crea- are the container. So the practitioner invokes the ancestors and the creator and the earth so that they can create the container where the alchemy of healing can take place. And so, you know, uh, that's the gift that the mentors and my teachers have conferred upon me is to provide me with the ceremonial structural protocol, like a skeleton, if you will. Because every ceremony is different. Every healing is unique. And so it's about being present to listen to what the ancestors intend what the creator and the earth intend or that individual or that group or that, that that couple whoever comes to seek out you know uh, healing at the altars that I serve and so um, that's what I see you know so rites of passage are, are another critical piece of our human journey that is often forgotten you know I do work with the youth and Sometimes I go into schools or go into even universities. I used to teach. I used to be a university professor, and I would teach in universities. And I would ask the, the students, with a show of hands, you know, well, was there any rites of passage? You know, when they were they brought into the world at birth with song and celebration and prayer and ceremony? Uh, were they, you know, when when a young young girl has her first bleeding, her first moon time, do the grandmothers and the mothers celebrate that uh, arrival into young womanhood, the ceremony, or when a young man, you know, in his uh, mid-teens or so, began to notice changes in his body, did the grandfathers or his fathers take him out into the woods and train him how to be a man? Chances are most people, they never raise their hands because they never had that experience. And for me, I see these rites of passage as the thresholds through which we pass as human beings that give us the opportunity to know that others have walked the journey before and that um, it's signposts and guideposts that help us to be able to navigate that journey is, you know, you know in addition to marriage, which is obviously you know, a ceremony that's done, but then the you know the other side of that is when when a a woman moves into her sacred crone time when when the blood is stored in the body and no longer given to the earth or when a man is asked to move into his eldership to serve and counsel as well you know and for me these rites of passage are, are really critical you know and of course naturally the the final rite of passage which is not just for the individual but for the community and the family as well but is death itself, you know, when that person drops their body and returns back to where they came from. You know, this is all a part of our our journey here on this earth, and uh, it helps us to be able to move and navigate effectively through this world. You know, and so building community is a, a critical piece of that, you know, that we have a, a uh, not only a ceremonial container, but we have a container of allies, of people who love and respect and care about us, you know, to know that we're not alone here. And I think there's such a 
emphasis in our culture upon individuality, you know, being an individual and being independent. But I believe independence is an illusion. I think we are interdependent. And not only do we rely upon this earth for our sustenance, food and, and water, clothing, shelter, etc. But, you know, we need each other. And it breaks my heart to see the way that we often treat each other with this unkindness and this disrespect when it is, we are literally mitak, we we are all related, you know, not just in our um, human relations, but also with the plants and the animals, you know, the elementals, earth, air, fire, water, those are our first elders, those are our first teachers. You know, grandfather fire, grandmother water. I mean, these. This is you know when we say that in in when we address them in that way, we understand our relationship to them. <clears throat> we understand that uh, you know we're not the Venus of creation, as uh, some of the Western cultures tend to profess, but uh, we're actually the grandchildren. We're the youngest ones on this planet. And therefore, we have the most to learn. So we look to our elders. We look to the elementals, the earth, air, fire, water, which are living, sentient beings. And we look to the plants who came next. And we look to the animals, all of whom have medicine for us and uh, can help us on our journey when we're humble enough to listen and to begin to remember the language which we once spoke but have divorced ourselves from as a consequence of, uh, I believe, our human hubris, which has gotten in the way and allows us to disconnect, you know, and creates this illusion of independence when what we really need in this world is interdependence. And we need to work together in solidarity, you know, so that we can all remember what we're here to do and to ensure that seven generations will survive of all of our nations seven generations and beyond. So I think that's, that's the work that I am compelled to to continue to do and just to continue to be of service uh, any way, shape, or form, however I'm called. And uh, I, I travel the world and I feel, I feel really deeply grateful to the Creator and the Earth and the ancestors with whom I associate for giving me an opportunity to to travel and to... Uh, share these messages, which I believe, again, are are vital for our survival as a species and to ensure the survival of the Earth and all of our relations upon her. Well, let me ask you, uh, if uh, I don't know how far back you go, I haven't done the math, but um, uh, did you ever uh, have a chance, say, from the mid-'80s, until the late 90s uh, to uh, meet or, or listen to uh, Mad Bear Anderson or um, uh, Rolling Thunder because they did quite a bit of speaking in the Bay Area. So I never met Mad Bear. Um, I did actually meet Doug Boyd, you know, who oh, wow. a book about Rolling Thunder. Um, and Mad Bear, yeah. And and Med Bars, well, yeah, I read actually both of Doug's books. Um, you know, I never had the privilege of this interesting story. Um, so uh, I was cognizant that Rolling Thunder would come to the Bay Area. I never met him directly. However, it was very interesting that um, um, 
when I was here in the 80s, um, I would spend my Sundays at the Marine Mammal Center, and um, which was a uh, sanctuary for pinnipeds, for seals, you know, rescue and rehabilitation of, of marine mammals. And uh, I was on the day crew, and so I'd have to get up very early in the morning. And it was in the summer months, and it was sweltering. It was we had a, a drought, and and uh, one morning I woke up very early to drive out to the Marine Headland, where the facility is, and um, it was a torrential downpour, torrential. And uh, <clears throat> it was kind of strange because we hadn't had any rain at all. And um, I was actually then called uh, to rescue a seal down the coast. So I drove with another uh, volunteer to uh, Moss Landing uh, down in, uh, farther south and, uh, and then uh, beyond that back uh, to Monterey and Santa Cruz. And the... Uh, the weather was you know, quite stormy for the whole duration, but after we successfully were able to um, you know, capture a seal that was stranded and, and infirmed and you know, bring it back to the facility on the way back, one of the most glorious sunsets I'd ever seen emerge and the storm broke. And uh, later that evening, uh, a friend called me and informed me that Rolling Thunder was in town and did a ceremony. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I can't say that I met him directly, but I definitely was touched by his medicine. And um, interestingly enough, um, I would travel with my wife and my uh, community, commu- certain community members. We would uh, drive to South Dakota, where I was first sun dancing. And uh, on our way, we'd have to pass through Carlin, Nevada, route to South Dakota. And so um, I was driving along the road, and I knew that, that uh, Rolling Thunder resided in Carlin. But one year in particular, I was really compelled to, I mean, literally, it's almost like the steering wheel, you know, pulled us off the side of the road to take the exit to Carlin. And uh, I didn't know where he lived, but it's almost as if the car just kind of guided us there. And uh, so I stopped in front of his home. And uh, apparently his wife and, and his children came out and it informed us not long ago that he had he had made his journey, he had passed, and so um, we obviously expressed our condolences. And then uh, she told me that there was a particular mountain range that was very sacred to him. And so uh, myself, my wife, and community, we uh, traveled to this area and we did a ceremony for him. And uh, while we were in the midst of the ceremony, I was. Uh, we were going to do a Chirupa uh, Wakana sacred pipe ceremony for him. And uh, during the ceremony, um, one lone rain cloud, dark rain cloud came. Because the whole sky was completely clear, except for this one dark cloud. And it came and it hovered right over us. And right at the conclusion of the pipe ceremony, of the Chirupa ceremony, uh, there was just a slight gentle invisible rain. So we knew that uh, he had been with us. Must so have been like the spring of '97. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's. It's. <laughs> it's really interesting, you know. Uh, Matt, I think it was back in '72, '3, '4. Uh, maybe Mark can remember. Um, um, 
they had a big uh, gathering in the Salt Lake Valley, and um, they're uh, you know in in August, uh, Salt Lake never gets any rain, and and Mad Bear uh, said that uh, well he made some remarks, but he said to testify the truth of what I just told you, he said uh, beginning tomorrow and for three days. There's going to be a, a light female rain, and he left town, and it puckered up and rained for three days. It never rained mm-hmm. in Salt Lake for three days. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I was uh, in uh, Africa, once in Botswana, visiting with the the uh, Bushmen, Boom Bushmen in the Kalahari, and um, and uh, they had experienced a serious drought. And we had spent time in their huts and uh, talking story and sharing. You know, they had very similar practices. You know, I, I practiced primitive technology and you know, make fire from scratch, etc. And, and uh, so they have some hand drills and bow drills as well. You know, so it was really beautiful to see the commonality of, of indigenous practices. And um, we would share story. I have a native flute that I play. So I brought my flute, and they'd bring out their finger pianos, and we would you know, play music together and talk story and around the fire every night. And um, so uh, they invited us to participate in their trance dance, and um, uh, which is a very powerful ceremony of healing and medicine as well. Uh, it's a night ceremony versus the sun dance, which is obviously a daytime ceremony. But um, that's their way of, of you know, their hospitals where they doctor people. And um, so the elders, um, you know, word had spread that I was in their village. And so they, uh, some of the elders from some of the neighboring villages came to hear me share the story of, of White Buffalo Catwoman and how she brought the sacred pipe to the people. And um, so... In the course of the sharing, uh, I asked them if they would be interested in receiving some rain. And so um, they were obviously ecstatic about that prospect because it had been so dry. And so um, as I I sang the traditional song to load the the tanupa, the sacred pipe, and uh, um, as I began blessing the people, I started singing the thunder song and uh, then the thunder beings came from all four directions and as I blessed the people with the stem of the chinupa there was just a gentle rain a very uh, it started to drizzle and it got progressively greater and stronger and after I put the chinupa away the, the uh, storm came and uh, it was wonderful to see the children and the elders just laughing and celebrating in the rain as uh, you know, these life-giving waters were brought back to the area. So, Outstanding. Beautiful. Hey, we've got a got a caller. Are you willing to take a question or two? Sure. sure. Yeah, Eric uh, Code three one eight. What's your What's your name? Uh, Yari. Did you say Can Yari you hear me? or? Uh, we can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Y-A-K-R-Y. 
Okay, yeah, you uh, got a question or a comment? Yeah, I, uh, does, uh, do, do they have any opinion on the uh, stones in New Mexico called the Las Lunas Decalogue Stone Inscription? Can you repeat that again, The about what the stone where? The Las the, Lunas, like Las Lunas, New Mexico, Decalogue Stone Inscription. There's a star inscription at the site. Uh, with the solar eclipse, and if you bring the constellations back to match the star inscription, it dates to 8,000 B.C. Hmm. I've never seen that, so I really am not able to comment on that. I have oh, never to that. Also known, as the, also known as the Ten Commandments stone, because it's a uh, proto- Yeah, it's, it's written in Phoenician and Paleo-Hebrew, which Hebrew came from the Phoenician language. I cannot say that I've ever visited that site. I've been to Chaco Canyon quite frequently, uh, seen the pictographs and the petroglyphs there, but I have not been to the uh, area that uh, your caller mentioned. Oh, okay, well, Red Elk, if you if you knew Red Elk before you passed the uh, mood on, uh, he said it was still held as sacred ground today by some native tribes. Well, I believe actually that all this all this ground in North America and throughout the world is is still sacred and holy. So yes, I mean if well, there are if there are inscriptions there, and, you know. Uh, a caller, are you are you familiar with some of the uh, <clears throat> stones that kind of had some, oh, Hebrewish and other kind of inscriptions that were up in, I don't know what the Illinois area, like Burroughs Cave and stuff like that. Have you ever heard of that? And here in Tennessee. Yes. Yes, I, I've I've heard of that. Uh, those stones also. Uh, I, I find it interesting. Uh, my great grandmother was a full-blooded Y A H O O S K I N. If you ever never heard of that tribe, and yeah. the reason the reason skin translates so good into English is because it was actually a sign word, mm-hmm. and the double O is Wah, Yahweh. And yep. sign your skin. Now, how much better can it get than that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's a connection. I looked. I looked at the native tribes' names across all across this nation, and you can find the what they call the tetragrammaton in their names, the Kiowa and like that. Yeah, it's they're all permutations of the. Uh, uh, Hebrew um, uh, name of God, and there's a bunch of them. Um, uh, a whole whole bunch of them. Yeah, uh, I, I can, just uh, find that. You can read more about right. that at uh, AmericanCherokeeAssociation.com. Quite a bit of information oh. about that sort of thing on the on that on that website. Oh, okay. Yeah, it just it came to me that they, you know when the Spanish came here, they beat them in the head and told them to quit speaking their language, and uh, they gave them a religion. Uh, what was the religion they gave them? Iesus, the Iesusites, the Jesusites. You got that part of it, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I.e., in reference to Zeus, uh, the head god of the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah, isn't that, it? 
essentially not just the Spaniards, but basically all, you know, colonizing nations came over and uh, attempted to assimilate and and uh, alter the cultural legacy and identity of indigenous nations. That's exactly right. In the last usurpation in the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, it says, the, they're talking about the king, he has endeavored to bring on those savages on our mm-hmm. frontier. Stop right there. If I come to your front lawn and stand on it, is it my front lawn now? <laughs> yeah. Whose known rule of warfare is to kill old men, women, and children indiscriminately. You do, and then they did exactly to them what they said they were doing. That's what you do. You accuse the enemy of doing exactly what you're going to do to them. Yeah. Right. So if we, look, if we look actually, it's a historical precedent here, right? So you had individuals that were fleeing religious persecution, i.e. the pilgrims, and they came to North America, to this island, the Turtle Island, and uh, they began to perpetrate the same kind of violence upon the indigenous inhabitants here as they were subjected to. And that's unfortunately the the legacy of intergenerational wounding, right? That actually yeah. all human beings are subject to, right? That we tend to do what's been done to us. And that's why it requires us to literally wake up so that we can examine our patterns, right? Through, through ceremony and through self-reflection so that we're not continuing to perpetrate the violence internally and externally, but that it can stop. Because as the great law, the great law of peace, we talked about the Declaration of Independence. So, which you know, a lot of that and a lot of the historical documents of the quote-unquote founding fathers um, were co-opted from the the Iroquois uh, Six Nations law of peace. So, um, yeah. Do you know, do you know why we they need to be able to? We need to be able to examine with great scrutiny and honesty, our patterning so that we do not have to perpetrate this upon our children and future generations. Well, this exactly. is getting back to a conversation I had earlier with a friend of mine today about, he was asking me about the world cycles and and those things that Hopi and Amaya said. And, you know, they say that what happens is we approach the end of the cycle. Really what causes us to fall apart and collapse and everything is we we have just massive greed and corruption. Um, mm-hmm. We don't. We completely disregard the laws of the Creator, just go off and mm-hmm. do whatever the hell we want. They said another mm-hmm. sign that things are going wrong is your, your military starts to take over everything. <laughs> That's a bad mm-hmm. sign. But, see, and then then you get warnings, and when... The Hopi say when you know when you don't listen to warnings, Creator tells the guys at the poles to let go a little bit and hear whether this, that, and other changes, and you get whacked around a little bit. If you don't listen to that, then he tells them to let go completely, and that's where, kind of where we're at right now. That's getting that's in the works. And you, but the thing is, is see when the new world, next world starts, you know it's obvious. Everybody says, "Wow, we just got whacked big time." Uh, we better change, and most of the people that are causing trouble might be gone anyway. So, but then, so my friend and I were asking, well, what happens? You know, according to Hopi, you know, this is our fourth world. So, 
you know, three times we've been through the whacking, and we, and every time we do okay at the beginning, and as time wears on, we just seem to kind of lose it. So, you know, what we have to figure out is how do we, you know, how do we over time maintain each of our, a lot of our cultures and each of our things, they have things. They have commandments, the rules of the creator, they have all these things, and when we first mm-hmm. start our cycle, we got, we're gung-ho, we're doing the right thing, and you know, after a thousand years, we, I don't know, we start lose track and we get off base mm-hmm. and then we start going nuts and attacking each other and doing all kinds of garbage. You know, so well, how do we maintain? That's yeah, that's, the, that's <laughs> what I that's think we're trying to learn, how to maintain that uh, and keep it working the whole time and never fall back and be vigilant and never let this thing sneak back into us and, and sneak up on us. and we're, So we're just repeating the same thing over and over. <laughs> Uh, well, it's yeah, sleeping, yeah. right? We become asleep rather than dreaming awake. Do you know why Ishii mm-hmm. would not tell anybody his name? You know who Ishii is, right? Sure. California yep. native uh-huh. here in San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know why he wouldn't tell anybody his name? No, I do not. Okay. Uh, they didn't name their children at birth. Mm-hmm. Did it? Did my phone go out? You're okay. You're still okay. With us. They waited to get the message from the Creator and named them by their nature, and that mm-hmm. name was not to go outside of the tribe, so that you could not be fooled by any man that the Creator was calling you. Yeah, that's, that's actually a common practice amongst many indigenous uh, nations: is that uh, they wait. Uh, so that the child's nature can be revealed and so that the name that is conferred aligns with the child's medicines. So, yeah, uh, not just Ishii's tribe, but many many tribes with whom I'm familiar you know, have a very similar well, it, practice. It, it gets pretty simple. If you believe that you go on after you die, then if you believe that you existed before you were even conceived, then do you think that creator said, hey, you come here, go forth? No. You had a name, man. Mm-hmm. In certain cultures, your name is going to change as you age and grow, because your medicine can change. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yes. in, so we in don't always carry it too. Your your name, like in Maya culture, your name would be uh, the day you're born on. One of your names. They, you don't just have one name. But one right. of your names would be the day in the Mayan calendar you're born on would become one of your names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I've had um, four names in my journey thus far, <clears throat> and interestingly, in your reading, your Mayan reading, you talk about the eagle, and uh, actually, uh, my first cycle of sun dancing uh, was eagle dancing as a part of that. So. Uh, kind of tied in with what you said earlier about the Mayan calendar, you your reading of myself. So, yeah, eagle medicine is definitely a part of the medicine that I carry. So, um, so we're well, I think we're also, we're trying to figure out, I think right now, um, you know, how to get through and how to learn from what's been happening and you know we're in the middle we're already back in the middle of the mess again getting ready to probably go through purification again and 
we're trying to, you know, some of us are saying, well, okay, we'll, we'll go into this before. What do, what do we do? How do we not go around and repeat mm-hmm. this again, repeat this cycle over and over and over? You know, let's graduate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's don't yeah. funk again. And mm-hmm. and I think it's a, it first starts as a, as a desire of people to want to accomplish that and to come together and to mm-hmm. heal. And a key component of a healing is really to look at all the problems and things that have been done that are wrong and, and across the whole mm-hmm. world and and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is what happened, and but we're also willing to step back and say, okay, we will we can forgive these people what has been done. We don't condone mm-hmm. the actions, but let's move beyond this and let's try to figure out how to pull together, heal mm-hmm. all of ourselves. Each of mm-hmm. us look at each other, look at each level from the individual, then to the family, then to the mm-hmm. tribe, then to the city, then to the nation, then to the planet, and work it exactly. from the bottom up, bottom, top mm-hmm. down, work it simultaneously both ways. And, mm-hmm. and people, I think, want to do this. This is what his work is about and a lot of the guests that come on the show. And so, and mm-hmm. if we do that, we'll, we'll really have accomplished a, a major, major thing. And I think so that's, that's the that's, that's ruthless honesty piece. Right? We've got to be able to look at our patterns and our wounds. We have to be willing to forgive one another. I mean, the yeah. reality is that, uh, you know, and there has to be restitution. I think that, um, yeah. you know, one thing that troubles me, you know, I, I travel all over the world and connect with other indigenous nations. And, you know, I'd have to say that here in North America, there is still a campaign of very subtle and sometimes blatant genocide against indigenous nations still. And so there's not a willingness to to look at the history of this nation and to right the wrong, to say, listen, yeah. you know, we have not treated you with the fundamental respect and decency as a human being and, and as nations that you deserve, to acknowledge the fact that there has been wounding and, you know, and to to have restitution, to have some kind of ability to sit down and dialogue. And, you know, I, I pray that, you know, a, a, a leader in this nation will come along and be humble enough to formally apologize to the indigenous nations in North America so that we can begin to have a dialogue, to have a conversation that can help bring about healing collectively for everybody. And you know, when that happens, you know, rather than because of still a lot of the history that's being taught in schools is completely inaccurate and yeah, does not right. depict does not depict the truth of the the beautiful variety and diversity of indigenous nations. You know, it's just basically lumped into one rather than the 500 and plus nations that existed at the time when the visitors first arrived. You know, back in 1492. So. You know, this is the collective healing that has to take place, individually, familially, as you just mentioned. You know, it's like we look and see, because now the intergenerational wounding is not necessarily externalized, it's internalized, you know, and we're all subject to that. And so um, it requires, I mean, healing is hard work. It's actually painful work. And, uh, you know, the way that it was explained to me by the spirits is that, uh, at the moment when mystery merges with matter, then we come into human form. We become incarnate. And at that moment of incarnation, we are bequeathed two bundles. 
One is a burden bundle and one is a blessing bundle. And inside the blessing bundle is all the gifts and attributes and talents of your families of origin, both maternal and paternal. On the other side is, is the burden bundle. And inside the burden bundle are all the fears, wounds, issues, traumas of your families of origin on both sides. And as we begin to grow, these bundles burst open. So we see the beauty that exists within our families, within our lineages. And we also simultaneously see the darkness that exists within this. And it's not about judgment, but it's about the truth, to see things as they are. And the time comes, perhaps, when that young person no longer wants to be the legacy holder of all this pain and suffering inside that burden bundle. So they begin to do the healing work through ceremony, through self-reflection, through assistance with, you know, from others to begin to try to extract one or two items from that burden bundle. Because that burden bundle goes back to the beginning of our humanity. That's the DNA that, uh, that John Trudell talks about, the descendants and ancestors. And so um, it's not possible in one lifetime to be able to extract everything from that burden bundle. Because what's going to be most apparent is in your immediate environment. So this is the nature-nurture. It's both. It's not either-or. You know? So it's in the DNA, but it's also in your immediate environment. So you know, maybe you're subjected to alcoholism or, or physical abuse or you know, other forms of addiction. Who knows? But that's what's going to be in your immediate field to address and try to remediate. And so that a time will come when it's your turn to pass on those bundles by either having your own children or by being a mentor to others because we're obviously affecting the bundles uh, anyway because of interrelationship, that you want the burden bundle to be smaller and the blessing bundle to be bigger, right? And that way, then we have the collective healing that we're talking about. You know, and that requires ruthless honesty and it requires perseverance and commitment because healing is not comfortable, you know, and it, it's necessary, you know, for us to be able to liberate ourselves from the shackles of the suffering, you know, but it starts with ourselves. It starts with that first desire that you spoke of, you know, the, the intent to wish to heal and to walk down that journey and to reveal the truth and the beauty of who we are, but also the parts that require our attention and our refinement. You know, and uh, that's what I see the gift of, of indigenous ceremony being, you know, wh whatever the ceremonies are, purification lodge, Uwipi, um sun dance, Native American church, all these, the plethora of powerful ceremonies that are available to us to be able to heal, to let go, to forgive, and to be liberated and to become free, you know, because I believe that freedom is our birthright and that we have the capacity to be free while we are in human form. And that freedom is an absence of concern for oneself. And when you are no longer fixated on your ego or having your own specific desires or needs met because you've replaced fear with faith, faith in the source and the earth and the ancestors to provide everything that you need. And because you're in alignment 
with the dreamer's dream for you, then there is no place for fear. And that, for me, is true freedom. Aho. Uh-huh. Where do you think we stand, uh, Chief Philip, right now in, in, in light of what uh, was said there? Well, I believe that we're on a very fertile threshold. Um, you know, in my travels around the world, speaking with other seers and, and dreamers, um, you know, all the prophecies from many indigenous cultures are coming true about this particular time that we're in. And either we are going to collectively awaken um, or we're going to cause our own demise and the demise of many species along with us. I mean, clearly, the Earth is going to outlive us. She's, you know, she's seen several iterations of us come and go and civilizations have risen and fallen throughout, you know, throughout the span of, of, uh, of uh, planetary time. However... Um, the difference is that it's time for us to understand that enlightenment is not a solitary affair, that it is a collective endeavor, and that each and every one, it's incumbent upon each and every one of us to do our work, to do our healing, and to come together in solidarity, to understand that the wheel as a way of life embraces everyone, and that everyone has a right to be on it, and, uh, in fact, it brings a richness and a diversity to perspectives. You know, we tend to try to homogenize our relationships now and create adversarial ones rather than seeing that we're all in this together. You know, I mean, life and love are a risk. And I always encourage people and advocate that they, they, they fearlessly love and they fearlessly live, right? That they, they live with abandon, but they do not abandon themselves, and when we do that, you know, we're able to let go of the fears, which are just illusions anyway, that we can really love one another. And that's really the message for me. You know, this universe is bound by love. That's, what, that's the glue and the adhesive that holds everything together. And, you know, the love, you know, the, the earth and, and the creator love us unconditionally. The ancestors love us unconditionally. And so, therefore, inside our DNA is the capacity for us to experience unconditional love. You know? As far as I'm concerned, there's four... You know, I spend a lot of time in deep reflection and, and in ceremony, and I ask the spirits, what's our purpose as human beings for being here? And they said there's four fundamental intentions or reasons for us here. And one is to wake up, to stop the domestication, to stop the autopilot, to stop the reactionary, knee-jerk uh, actions, and for us to truly wake up, just as we, throughout all historical uh, religious history, there are awakened ones in all traditions and faiths who have cut through the illusion of independence and who have liberated themselves from fear. So the first is to wake up. The second is to remember our original instructions. Because, as I said earlier, if we do not fulfill our original instructions, then all of us suffer. Not only the individual, but all of us collectively suffer. So, you know, it's part of our intent to be here is to remember what we're here to do for the benefit of all of our relations. Thirdly, which is by far the most challenging in our culture uh, in general now, is to love unconditionally. But because we have an experience of unconditional love through the earth 
through the ancestors, through the Creator. And, you know, when I speak with most parents, they say they love their children unconditionally as well. And so there are exceptions, naturally, but for the most part, you know, parents love their children unconditionally, which means also inside our DNA and in the memories, both our energy bodies and our physical bodies, is an understanding experience of unconditional love. And unfortunately, as a result of society, that is bred out of us. And so, but that's really the key, is to love unconditionally. And the third is to live the interconnectivity of all of creation so that we understand in every cell of our body that we are truly connected to everything else. And for me, these four aspects of our remembrance as human beings allows us to live in a very different way. And we can you know, learn to love unconditionally, live unconditionally, support each other, take care of each other. Because if we don't, the consequence of this forgetting is exactly the annihilation of our species and many other species along with us. And I see that as a tragedy. But I do believe, you know, it depends on the day. Certain days, you know, I I think that perhaps we're beyond, you know, uh, the ability to, to redeem ourselves. And other days, I think that, you know, based upon the actions that I see, there's a glimmer of possibility for us. And, uh, you know, my intent is always to see the latter, that that I do, I believe in the intrinsic goodness of human beings. I think we become sometimes self-absorbed, uh, both individually and as a species, and so um, that's part of our responsibility too, is to wake up to that so that we can be generous and honorable and good toward ourselves and toward each other, so that we obviously learn to love and respect, trust ourselves, trust each other, you know, and to allow the the goodness of our humanity to emerge. And so that's what I see and what I believe, you know, so that rather than to fall into the abyss, you know, and to uh, create annihilation for ourselves and others, that we can wake up and uh, work for the betterment of ourselves and each other. Yeah. Well, as uh, Jack Nicholson said in Mars Attacks, why can't we all just get along? You know, it <laughs> you know, makes me wonder what it's going to take. It's going to take a revolution. It's going to take a revolution. You know, and it's not a, it's not a revolution of violence. It's actually... A revolution of peace and love, you know, toward ourselves and toward each other, and that's that's the hard work of healing that I spoke of earlier. But I believe that it's possible. You know, it's not going to be easy. You know, it may not. I mean, I actually don't want to put any label on it whatsoever. In fact, there's a beautiful quotation that says in in the Dharma of Buddhism, I pray that the Buddha does not regard the path is difficult, otherwise sentient beings will suffer. Say rather that the Buddha regards the path as easy, so uh, sentient beings will be liberated. As we know, our thoughts will shape our experience. I don't believe that we create our own reality. I think the dreamer is dreaming our reality for us. However, what I do believe is that um, our thoughts uh, serve as the capacity for us to experience the world. So 
if we have a very narrow bandwidth of thinking, then we cannot experience the plenitude of creation. Whereas if we have a much more expanded thought process and perception, then we're able to take in much more of the vastness of this beautiful creation that we're all blessed to experience. Real good description. (laughs) Well, it sure is. It sure is. Well, I want to... I want to thank you for joining us, and and uh, I think uh, I think you're onto something. I think you're you've really been blessed to, by Creator to be a, a spokesman. I mean, you're doing a you're doing a real good job from both directions, being a being a shadow walker. You know. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate your acknowledgement, and uh, it's an honor to be on your show. I'd certainly love to be back again. It's a very fruitful dialogue. And- I've learned quite a bit also from listening to both of you and to the caller as well. So, and that's what it's about. It's really about sharing and talking story. And you know, and uh, I think that's the momentum that we start to build is when we can uh, share our story and our experiences because it's all unique. You know, and so we can celebrate, celebrate our lives together and celebrate the the, the beauty and the richness and the goodness of, of this gorgeous earth that we are a part of and this mystery that the ancestors who always walk with us step by step, breath for breath, they're always there. Oftentimes yep. we neglect them, but they never abandon us, but we may abandon them because we're not aware of their presence. So that's also part of the work that I do is to ensure that people understand that they can cultivate a relationship with the spirits that is an abiding one and that they can walk with them for the rest of their lives, that the earth is kissing our feet every step we take, that the creator is inspiring us every breath that we take and that we're never alone. We're born into relationship, not only to the earth, the air, to the earth, the ancestors and the creator, but we are born into relationship with all of the plants and the animals, the elementals, and with each other. And there's a richness there. That's the mirror of reflection that can allow us to see who we really are. It's through relationship. That's why these relationships come into our lives. The Creator will dream uh, individuals to come in. Because, you know, I believe the Creator and the ancestors have a wicked sense of humor. So they're going to bring... They're going to bring characters into your life, into your movie, that will help you to learn and to grow. You know, and sometimes those are the tyrants. Those are the teachers. And so we get a chance to... Now, recently, some of my students, the community, saying, you know, I thought I... I got. I figured I, I thought I was already healed. I, got, I thought this was all figured out. I said, no, this is excavation. We're going deeper, right? And we continue to re- reveal more of the treasure by looking at the things that we have to let go of, what we have to release, what we have to heal. And so we celebrate these opportunities when a tyrant comes into our life in the form of a teacher or a friend or a parent or a family member uh, or perhaps even an acquaintance. Then that's the gift that the Creator is bringing for us to look at ourselves. One of my mentors, wonderful storyteller, her name was, she was Howden Roshone from... uh, Six Nation, and uh, Paula Underwood was her name. She a beautiful storyteller and educator. And uh, she would often say, what may I learn from this? 
that was her inquiry. What may I learn from this? So regardless of whatever transpired in her life, she was always reflecting upon uh, the meaning, right? That it was not, that it, that it was not uh, accidental, right? That these souls enter into our lives for a reason, for, to serve as mirrors of reflection, which is also why, in, uh, you know, unfortunately 60% of all marriages in this country end in divorce now because I don't believe that people understand what the medicine of marriage is really about, which is, you know, uh, for an individual to serve as a mirror of reflection for another. You know, to say, I'm here so that you can see yourself, to see your beauty and to see the parts of yourself that require a little attention, a little loving attention. And so, you know, when when the romance fades or wears off and the work really begins, that's when people want to bail because they're not willing to see that, that that relationship is the gift that they're asking for, that that soul says, I will be here, I'll walk with you for the rest of your journey here so that you have a mirror to help you heal and to grow so that we can do magic together. And unfortunately, yeah. I think that's uh, forgotten in our society. And so well, I believe that we're magical beings in a magical world. And uh, we have the ability to communicate in ways that are unseen, you know, and we are constantly bombarded with signs and omens from the spirits to keep us on track and in course in our life, but we often overlook them or are blind to them, you know, and so we really need to start to wake up and see, see the truth of who we are, see the, the illusions that we're operating with so that we can free ourselves from them, because then the world will be a different place, you know, and you know, it's not necessarily about going back to the halcyon days of the way things were. I think it's about balance. You know, it's about being in this world now to see how we can use uh, technologies in all ways for the benefit of the good. Right? I'm not attached. It's just like rolling thunder. You're not attached to whether it's you know an MRI or whether it's the, the rattle of a medicine man or medicine woman. What matters is if it can work in helping to relieve suffering. Right? So I'm not attached to the form of things. That was certainly one of the first things that my, my first medicine, my root medicine teacher told me, is not to get attached to form. Right? We have, because we can't be attached to form because eventually our body will return to the earth. Right? And so it's about being able to utilize everything that's available to bring healing and purification to ourselves individually and collectively. And, um, and that's the beauty of uh, the work I feel that I'm blessed to do and to maintain and preserve traditional practices. You know, I, I, I don't believe it's necessary to recreate the wheel. The wheel has already been created. These ceremonies are thousands upon thousands of years old. I don't need to embellish them. I don't need to add anything to them. You know, in the... Uh, when we load that sacred pipe, that Sanupa Wakan, as it's called in Lakota, um, you know, there's a song. Kola leche lechue, friend, do it this way. Do it this way and the ancestors will honor you. So you know, when I sit down and I, I, I pray and I, I load the Sanupa the way that it was been taught and handed down through the years and through the lineages that I'm familiar with, I'm connecting to the original source, to the original person, to White Buffalo Castleman herself. But if we feel compelled to 
try to create things on our own or to make things up ceremonially, I think that's very dangerous. I believe that, for me, this is a medicine way. The Native American church is a medicine way. The sun dance is a medicine way. These are these are the ancient medicines that are thousands upon thousands of years old and they're time tested. And so when uh, when we're not sanctioned or taught properly, the negligence can result. I mean I'm also an EMT and so uh, you know, I bridge both worlds. You know, I do, you know, modern allopathic medicine as an EMT and I also practice traditional indigenous medicine. And so, for me, I espouse collaborative medicine. That's very important. But we respect each lineage. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, try to be drumming while I'm, you know, as an EMT. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's about respecting each lineage and, uh, you know, not trying to amalgamate them and trademark it into something that it's not. And uh, I think that's the danger many di- days today is that people are looking for shortcuts. They're looking for ways to try to circumvent the medicine. But, uh, you know, we know that in allopathic medicine, it will require about 10 years of training. You got four years in school and you got your rotations and your residencies before you are a bona fide physician. Well, unfortunately... And I think uh, many people in the Western world don't comprehend that in the native way as well, there are protocols, very stringent, elaborate protocols. And, you know, for those that know the Native American church, for example, you have different fireplaces. And so each of them have their protocols and you have to be properly trained and qualified. And when you're not, that's when harm can result. You know, and I think about what happened in Sedona, Arizona, for example, with that individual who certainly was not qualified to you know, conduct a lodge, and people perished as a result of that level of negligence and ignorance. And so that's the patience that is required in order to train. You know, you find yourself a, a medicine person who you trust and who you respect, and you apprentice with them. And you do the necessary work, and it's hard work, and it's you know it's blood, sweat, and tears, and literally, you know, you may have to put your life on the line constantly, and that's the training that is required to be able to shuttle souls back and forth from one world to the next, you know, so that you intimately acquaint yourself with the with your own personal death, so you're not attached to it, and also know how to be of service, and so. No, it requires, you know, and I'm, again, in my travels throughout the world, speaking with other medicine people who train others, apprentices, you know, there's a consensus that it takes about 10 years, 10 years of training to really be qualified and sanctioned and bona fide in the indigenous medicine way, you know, and, uh, you know, because it's a very comprehensive medicine practice. You know, it, you know, uses... So not only body work and plant medicines, but knowing ceremonies, the sacred songs, all of the subtle protocols, you know, it requires training and time in order for even to become a water pour you know, in, in the purification lodge, or inipi, as it's called in Lakota. You know, one needs to uh, make a commitment in, in Sundance for, for four or five years and, or go on the hill to do a traditional hamblitsha, a vision quest, for four or five years. 
you know, so you walk the preliminary cycle of the wheel. All right? um, but all the old timers I knew say you can't even regard yourself as a sun dancer until you've completed at least 16 years. So four by four, four years in each direction. You know, so that's the kind of patience that is required to walk this native way more and more in this fast-paced world. It makes it very difficult to find people that are willing to have the patience and take the commitment and the time to be able to understand the subtle mysteries that um, can only be learned through that level of perseverance and patience and practice. Hey, we're running out of stream, so we better run. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. It's been an absolute you bet. honor. You bet. And, uh, yeah, how how far over 80 did you say you were? Well, if any of your listeners would like to get in touch with me, uh, if I can be of service to them, um, I'm available. Uh, they can email me, philip, P-H-I-L-L-I-P, at ancestralvoice.org ancestralvoice.org and uh, they can also call me at uh, 415-310-0981 415-310-0981 and uh, I am on call 24-7 I'm always available to support people in the healing process or to field any other questions they may have like I said you, you talk like somebody over 80 and so you've got that kind of wisdom at this age Wow, you're gonna have a <laughs> you're gonna have quite a run. Well, thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Many blessings to you and happy Resurrection Day. May that we all be resurrected. <laughs> all right, take care. Oh, good night. Good night, everybody. everybody. Oh, ho, we'll talk to you soon.